Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to episode three of Tales of Tamriel. I am your host, Agelos, and with me this evening, we have my amazing wife, she who feeds on your tears, the crusher of spider eggs, Thais. How are you doing this evening, Thais? I'm doing pretty good. I'm I'm happy to, to do the show today. I'm really excited. All right. Awesome. Great. Well, we're glad to have you with me this evening, and we're excited to bring you another episode of Tales of Tamriel. Let's get right into this, shall we? All right, we're going to go right into game news. Um, pretty much a lot has going on this weekend. Um, let's see here. Well, we'll start off with this. By the time you hear this, this news will be old. But uh, the Curse giveaway, they were giving away 500,000 beta keys. Um on curse did you uh did you see that things i did which i thought was a really intelligent move to make to to open that up to people who have not got to experience the beta yet i, I thought they made a wise decision in in doing that right right well this kind of leads me into our second news topic already which was they're not having an open beta um I'm kind of speculating on this one a little bit, and with the ESRB rating of Mature, I don't know, that might be part of it, I don't know if they ever had a plan for it, but it seems like from uh, one of their help documents on the site that they are not having an open beta, but pretty much anyone who signs up for the beta and... Um, meets the terms of service agreement, meaning older than 18 years of age, will likely get in. I think this curse beta giveaway is a, a big step because I think the last beta, they broke a record. I think they had over 300,000 people in it. So this would put them at 800,000, close to a million players if they were all given away. Oh, that's really exciting to have so many players on at the same time. Well, not at the same time, but so many players in the beta. And and I know that them players who have got to experience for the first time, that it had to have been an exciting thing because it's already been in beta a bunch and, you know, it, it's been tweaked and different things. So they're getting to experience it at a, a really lucrative time. Right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that, that 
uh, the beta weekend just went by. Uh, it actually lasted for four days, I believe, over the standard Friday, Saturday. They went all the way till Monday for this. But the big news of this week um, is I found two pieces. One that really, really interested me. Uh, one of the one of the outlets that was selling the games actually reported that the Imperial Edition is outselling the Standard Edition by over five times. Like they're they're five to one ratio for people buying the Imperial Edition versus buying the Standard Edition. Oh, that makes perfect sense, though. If it's right there and you can just grab it, then you're obviously going to want the special edition. It just makes more sense. You get more out of it, more to your game. I know that if it was, hmm, do I want the one that doesn't have as much or the one that's got all the specials and everything, I would definitely go with the specials. So I I understand that. Right. And, I mean, to be honest, as we went over last week, the Imperial Edition, as far as collector's editions goes, is remarkably cheaper than what normal games sell for their uh, collector's edition. So, I mean, I think it's only a $20 difference between a standard edition and the Imperial Edition if if you go digital. Um, So, I mean... 20 extra bucks. I can see why a lot of people are going for the Imperial versus the standard. Well, how much did we pay alone for our Guild Wars 2 special edition? I can't remember how much we paid, but I know it was a lot. Uh, yeah, we went over this in the last podcast. I think it was uh, almost $300 for two copies, mind you guys. So, I mean, uh, we spent about 200 this time with tax and whatnot, but yeah, I mean, it it was about $50 cheaper than what Guild Wars 2 was. And, I mean, Guild Wars 2 was selling for about $150 for the collector's edition. And their standard edition was still going for, I forget, was it $30 or $40? Uh, pretty much standard price. I think they lowered their price a little bit. But, you know, even standard price, it's almost three times as much for a collector's edition. This one's not near. So this was this was a good decision by by the game to not make it that expensive so that more people could enjoy the special features. So I I like to hear that it was selling for that much. They were going for the special editions more than they were going for the standard. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. Um that was the big news that I thought. I thought that was really interesting just because of the community, um, some of the community outlash about the Imperial Edition. Um, But that might not be the big news for the week. The big news for the week is that on Friday, the 7th of February, the um, ZeniMax lifted the NDA for press to to a slight extent. They are now allowed to talk about certain things within the game, publicly now up to like level 15 and uh, one of the things we're going to go over in our elder scrolls uh discussion topic is one of these so-called articles um have you read any of the articles that were released there were a, a large number of them i have listened to them i have and i was saddened and disappointed by a lot of what i listened to and i read i really was it and i know you agree with me on this that I felt like we were playing myself and whoever was doing their 
their rendition of what they thought of the game, that we were playing two completely different games. Uh, yeah, I, I know. I mean, I, a lot of the articles that were released by a lot of the big gaming companies were overwhelmingly negative. But, you know, we, we've been in the betas, and what they were describing is not what we were experiencing. That's It just baffled me, and it was actually kind of disheartening for the most part because um, people were writing these things. And most people, if you're not following the game because you're not an Elder Scrolls fan, will look at reviews and go, oh, it's lackluster, blah, 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 I'm not going to get it, and that's really sad. But one of the things that really ticked me off was I read one of the articles and was listening to one of them, and both of them were... I won't say negative because they weren't really negative, uh, like outright going, this game is terrible, but they're like, eh, it feels old, ah, it feels this, this, this. Just kind of, you know, didn't really feel much love for it. But they're like, oh, but, we, you know, we only played the first five levels, you know, so maybe it gets better later on. I'm sorry, but even other games like Proven, Proven Games, World of Warcraft, for instance, if I sat you down, and only let you play the first five levels, you would be bored out of your mind. You don't get anything in the first five levels. And I know Elder Scrolls games are a little bit more open, and this one has... But by five levels, you haven't really done much. You haven't got off the starter islands, those small little islands in each of the starter zones. You haven't done... A... You haven't unlocked it. I doubt you would have even found all the weapon types in the game yet. I would be very surprised. So when they're saying, oh, the game is this, the game is that, but only playing five levels, I don't really think that's a fair review. It's really not. Uh, prime example, as you said, World of Warcraft. The game doesn't really open up its realm of possibilities until you hit max level. There's, there's just so much to do. And you do a lot of it leading up to that max level, but then once you hit it, it opens up even more. In five levels of, e of ESO, you get nothing. There's, you get, uh, yeah, you get some, some skills, that's, that's about it. You don't get to experience the massive world and just everything that the game has to offer. It's, it's so wrong to judge something so harshly in such a short amount of time, especially when you haven't experienced really anything the game has to offer. Um, yeah, no, I agree. It's just, it, it was disheartened. There were a few good articles. I mean, there are some valid points to a few things. Like, there, no, no game is going to be perfect. Let's face it. I mean... Everyone's going to find some, even games that are wildly popular like Warcraft and stuff like that, people will play certain parts and not actually like um, certain things. Like, uh, my wife does not like uh, PvP and Arena. Other people live for it. I am the worst person to bring into PvP. I don't know why, but it brings out the worst in me. I turn into a tyrant. I start yell, I scream at everybody, at my teammates, absolutely can't stand me in any type of PvP when I am trying to help them out. And my husband, for instance, if I'm in PvP and I'm screaming, he's thinking I'm yelling at him and he's not doing anything wrong. That is one aspect of 
any game that I just do not find enjoyable. I just find frustrating and time-consuming. I just, I can't do it. Yeah, it's just not everyone's going to enjoy the same things in every game. And not everything will, you know, not everyone likes everything in every game. But, I don't know, it's just, I don't think they gave it enough time. I mean, yes, it's a beta weekend, and you only get a little bit of time. But a lot of these big... Um, big developers i don't hold a lot of faith with them i'm under, i'm a conspiracy theorist here and i think the the game developers that throw the most money like let's let's be honest here how many people uh um how many rave re reviews do they do of pretty much any ea game and i mean let's face it ea is the devil and i mean any gamer out there will know that ea the you know, electric uh, electronic arts entertainment is probably the worst developer on the face of the planet and yet all those pro sites out there always rate it very high because let's face it, pro sites a lot of them like GameStop and things like that are you know they look at their bottom line and EA's the one going we have the dollars to back it we'll uh, help you fund your sites so that's my little conspiracy theory on that but overall I mean some people like I like some of the fan reactions we're going to go over an article here we're going to lead right into our uh, our Elder Scrolls discussion topic for the week. And the Elder Scrolls discussion topic we've decided to go over is we're going to go over Tamriel Foundry's article concerning ESO. The article is called Opening Up ESO Impressions, and they have a QA at the end. I wanted to go over this because not only is Tamriel Foundry a fan site, yes, they are, but they are far from what would be called fanboyish. Um, Atropos, for instance, is was one of the first people to, you know, go against certain things that Zenimax was doing, saying, you know, hey, I don't like this, you know, they're, they're not all white knighting the game. Um, but I think um, from a fan of ESO, and if you're listening to this podcast, let's face it, you're probably a fan of the Elder Scrolls series, this, this article went in really well and hit some highlights that he talks about that the game did insanely well and he openly goes through some stuff that it did not go so well in his view and we're going to go over that together uh this evening and try to figure out you know if we agree and and what we can do there so starting off with this i'm not going to read it word for word or anything like that because most of you guys have probably already read it but we're just going to go over the his bullet points here we're going to go over the strengths of eso what he has marked down as strengths one of the things he marked down is enjoyable combat. Now, some people may not like it. Some people may. We're just going to go by his opinion here and go from there. It goes, the first place when start, uh, to start when complimenting the job Zenmax has done is to mention the enjoyability of the combat system in ESO. Following the trend of other modern MMOs, such as... Uh, Guild Wars 2, Neverwinter, uh, that game that I don't like, Terra. <laughs> uh, they're all um, action combat systems that engage the players with combat tools that are more responsive and interactive than the traditional ability-centric combat rotations of old MMOs, where you stand there and you just follow a rotation versus anything else. Uh, active combat tools of blocking, dodging, bashing, escaping, using crowd control, and uh, switching weapons give players a toolkit for keeping fights fun and fresh without getting repetitive as quickly as other games. They 
what are you like enjoyable combat? What what do you see as enjoyable combat? Let's let's go into that first. I have a lot of fun doing certain rotations in certain games. Now you know me, I, I don't do DPS very well. Because they are usually long, drawn-out rotations, halfway through a DPS rotation, and I am forgetting what I was doing, forgetting what ability I was on, then I start over, my DPS drops, it's just, it's just a mess. So enjoyable combat for me is anything that can hold my attention while I'm DPSing, that I can continue attacking, kill whatever enemy I'm trying to kill. It doesn't matter if it's a static combat or an action combat, as long as it holds your attention. And I feel that ESO's combat does that. It holds your attention. You're always paying attention to the monster in front of you, to your surroundings. You are making sure you're you're using the different the different abilities that you need to. It's a good combat system. It really is. I I thorough I I do feel like it's enjoyable combat. Right. I mean, I do as well. Uh, and you've seen me when I do DPS and other MMOs. If it's a fight, I already know. I barely pay attention because you got that muscle memory going. I know it's one four four three two one three four four three. You know, you got that rotation in there, and you're set with other traditional, you know, hot bar MMOs. This one in particular, you do. You have to actively block. You have to actively, you know interrupt and things of that nature yes you got to interrupt in some of the other games as well for mechanics but this one you really do um and i mean some people a lot of people complain about the combat in this game like the hot bar style of uh other mmos and stuff of that nature and think most of the time when they think that though they think skyrim's combat is boring but let me tell you what if you play Skyrim on Legendary, like if you do uh, Adept or anything like that, you really do. Eventually, you just slice or you swing, and that's it. There's not much to combat. Legendary, you don't block, you die. There's no, your health goes down. No, you dead. It, it's kill cam. I can't tell you how many times I see this uh, orc coming at me with a two-handed hammer doing the overhand swing. I'm like, all right, I'll just stab him. Whack. Dead. It, it, it is. If you don't block in this game, like, it's it's unforgiving. It is, and I think it's fun. Um, one thing that I know that you know, not even these guys have unleashed. I think a lot of, a lot of what's going to determine for me if the combat remains fun is how they incorporate boss mechanics into this later. Uh, it can't just be a zerg like it when you do Skyrim. It's single player, so it's a little different. The guys just kind of run at you. There's very few fights that have what would be called MMO mechanics, where you know. I don't know. For instance, you have to stand on on this uh, on this one particular rune on the ground to make him vulnerable. While players attack over here, or you have to interrupt special abilities because if they go off, it wipes your party. I hope they have that kind of stuff, but hopefully we'll see when they uh, give us some previews of adventure zones and maybe some of those veteran dungeons to see see the combat in a more MMO uh, mechanic heavy fights. Uh, it would be very interesting, not just overworld. Uh, hack and slash do you have anything else on the uh combat i i just have to input i harken back to an earlier discussion that we still haven't seen everything the game has to offer you know it's only been 
it's only been the first few levels, you know, that the the combat, no one has fully gotten a hand a handle on the combat yet. There's no one has been able to enjoy all the skills that that the ars the huge arsenal that you have to work from. It's it's going to keep being enjoyable. It it really will. And if they do happen to have boss mechanics, oh, it's everything is you're just you're not going to know what skill to use as you're running around trying to handle mechanics. It's I am so very thrilled at this. I yeah, totally totally agree with that. I'm going to end off this one section on saying one uh one last thing. I think this combat system is going to be amazing for PvP as long as they maintain the latency. But that's server-side discussion. We're not going to worry about that right now. Because the one nice thing about um, ESO is the, the limit in the amount of skills that you can have when you're barred at any time. It creates a very deck-building type game. So while you're able to do everything, you have to pick a certain arsenal before you go into it. Uh, certain MOBAs do this, and MOBAs are wildly popular, where you have to build, you can build your character to be the ultimate, uh, for instance, uh, they showed us the Fighter's Guild, like the Silver Bullet stuff, it was all meant to fight Daedra and Undead. You can make yourself the ultimate, like, vampire werewolf hunter. So, if any werewolf vampire player comes at you, oh, it's, they're done. Because your your arsenal is built around killing these things. Now you fight a normal player, you're gonna have to rely on your friend who has the more a different deck style together. So I think uh, I think it'd be interesting for keep sieges and stuff like that to see the really organized teams like we saw in Guild Wars 2 for their world versus world to see them get together with their raid groups and go out into Cyrodiil and like they really work well together they'll be able to pick out like all right you are our anti uh, undead fighter this is the outlook you know the 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 deck we need you to build you're going to be our support healer these are the things we need you to build and that's what they're going to do they're going to go into a battlefield knowing they have a player to counter all the situation or multiple and uh that is going to be really cool to see. I'm really excited to see that um, unfold in the Alliance versus Alliance battle in Cyrodiil. Moving on, the uh, next notable strength is the aesthetic quality of the game. While some reviewers may disagree, Atropa says, uh, The Elder Scrolls Online provides a truly excellent visual experience. I don't know about you, Faze. Now, like we've both been in in the beta, and even we've seen the screenshots. I think this game is absolutely gorgeous. It really is. It looks like a landscape that is completely realistic, outside of the fact that there's oversize, whatever there may be. It still looks realistic. When you go out in the world and you look around, and everything is just so beautiful to look at the world feels alive there's there's villagers and there's there's npcs that are there in the world and the backdrop of the world not just the objects that are immediately around you things that are far away though i don't i don't agree with him thinking that it's it's that he that they walk the line between the painted and the hyper realism. I don't agree that it's painted at all. I don't think it looks 
in any way unrealistic. Even the backdrops are, when you view them, it's how you would see things in real life. It's just, it's a very beautiful game. And I, I like that they tried so hard to give it that realistic personality. Right. Yeah, he does go on about that. And I know what he's talking about, the aesthetic, like uh, some of the hyper-realism of Skyrim with the modded Skyrim. You can get some pretty insane stuff with like EMB mods and things of that nature. I've seen it. It's amazing. And the, and the uh, painted aesthetic of Guild Wars 2, I can see that too. It is, it's, I see where he says with the nice mix. Um, but he does go on to say that he likes the decision they went with the character models. He thought it was a good one. Because the art style feels comfortable for a video game while retaining the gritty realism that's um, that's such a joy in the Elder Scrolls series. He goes, I know this is a feature that appeals differently to different gamers, but he personally is excited to have the beautifully rendered game like ESO coming out instead of the cartoonish uh, alternatives offered by Wildstar or EQ Next. I agree with him on that. I, other than the fact, like, uh, not going to bash Wildstar, I'm sure it's going to be a great game for the people who want to play it. I'm not a sci-fi kind of guy, so automatically that one's out the door for me. I don't really care. Uh but EQ Next, that one would be one that, you know, generally would pique my interest if I was interested in that kind of game. But I I like the fact that this is real. I don't like cartooning games. I don't. And I played Warcraft for a long time, but my first game uh, was Ultima Online. That was a 2D one. But I played Dark Age of Camelot. When my friends actually left uh, Dark Age of Camelot to play Warcraft, they're like, hey, you should come over and play. And my first complaint was, I don't really want to because it looks so cartoony compared to uh, Dark Age of Camelot. And I didn't really want to go over at the time. Um, so I'm not a big fan of cartoony graphics. And I don't think they would have fit in Elder Scrolls world with how dark Elder Scrolls is. I Now this is kind of off topic, but I, I completely disagree with you that WoW is cartoony. To me, cartoony is anything that's bright, blocky. That is cartoony. If they are trying to retain some shape of a human that exists in reality, then that is in no way cartoony. That aside, I do like that they went so dark and gritty with ESO because it really does keep everything the same with the Elder Scrolls series. You... When you look at something that's been around for so long, you have certain expectations. And they really are holding on and doing their job to make this game look and feel like any other game in the series. Well, I <laughs> I think WoW's cartoony. But see, again, that's it's the person's aesthetic... Um, not aesthetic values, but the, their aesthetic preference that determines that for themselves. So some people are different. Um, but that's, that. you know, uh, as they say, with our, our beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Like, modern art, I don't get it. I think it's stupid. Other I people, love it. Yeah, I, I they, understand it. <laughs> again, it's all in the eye of the beholder. Some people will like it more than others. There's really nothing that a game developer can do to uh graphics wise that will appeal to everyone 
super realistic graphics. Some people don't like that. They would rather have a cartoony game. Some people would ra- would uh, not want to play cartoony, would rather have super realistic. Some would like a mixture in between. There's no way that a game company can go wrong with the graphics they pick unless, like for this game with this, uh, the the standard IP, the intellectual property that Elder Scrolls is, this game already set a precedence for the type of art style they have. So they could have went wrong if they went cartoony with this, I, I believe. But um, again, some people may have preferred it. But we'll move on from that one. The next thing he has is emphasis on exploration. Words like theme park and sandbox do a poor job of adequately describing the full range of possible MMO design patterns. Um, it, it's ESO is more than a sand or more theme park than sandbox. But you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna come right out and say this. Some people were like, "Oh man, I really wish the Elder Scrolls was more like, uh, or Elder Scrolls Online was more like normal, El- or Elder Scrolls more sandboxy." I'm sorry to dilute you there, good sir, but you are incorrect with the uh, idea that the old single-player Elder Scrolls games were sandboxes. They weren't. They were theme parks. They were open theme parks, but they were theme parks. The idea of a theme park versus a sandbox is theme park is all content that is derived from developers. It's story-driven. It's that kind of thing. Sandbox literally means they throw you in a space and let you build. That's Minecraft. That's um, one of the old MMOs that would have been considered a uh, um, a sandbox game. Um, it was an Egyptian MMO. What was it? Oh, crud. I can't remember it. I have no idea. Oh, A Tale in the Desert. A Tale in the Desert. That was a sandbox MMO. You were literally, you played a, an Egyptian in ancient Egypt, and you were set out. They gave you rough goals, but everything you did, like you could build uh, pyramids and stuff with other players. You could build thriving towns. But that was all player-driven content. Shadowbane technically would have been considered a sandbox MMO because, yes, while the theme park design was PvP, the people built their own cities. Like, the continents really didn't have more than one city that was player or NPC-driven. Everything else was player-driven. Sandbox is when they create their own content. The only thing that makes Elder Scrolls games sandboxing is the modding, and that's it. So to say that we wish ESO would have went more sandboxy like the other single-player games is an incorrect um, incorrect statement. Saying maybe more open would have been better. But again, going into this, uh, it says that uh, the way ESO has done it is very common with MR. MMORPGs, and with a conventional pattern, ESO does a fantastic job at incentivizing the player's exploration. Each zone has a main quest that will direct you to some of the prominent locales in the area. However, a vast majority of the game's content is encountered purely by venturing off the beaten path and letting your compass and curiosity guide you. Uh, Experiencing the game will be more fulfilling for players who are intent on finding every Sky Shard, lore book, hidden treasure, and and explore dungeons. Uh, This is an underlying feature that ESO clearly shares with the single-player Elder Scrolls games. And I agree with that. What about you? I do agree. I do agree. Especially since I was there, and a few times I got lost and wound up somewhere else while exploring, and then while I was lost 
there, I got lost the second time trying to complete something that I found while I got lost the, th- the first time. And then while I was lost the second time, I got lost the third time. And all from just being in this world, it totally and completely pulls you in to the different areas. And you you have to explore. You There's no way that you can't with all the options that are there, with how pretty with how just just with how the world really is surrounding your character you have no choice but to really let yourself go and explore and and walk around and you you see something and you're just drawn to it and then you're you're drawn in another direction they did a great job of just starting you off and then you you take it from there now there are quests, as that was said here, there are quests that can guide you, but you don't have to let them guide you. You can do your own thing, and that is just amazing for what they're trying to accomplish in making this an Elder Scrolls MMO off of the Elder Scrolls single-player games. Right. And let's... You know, I think a lot of people's complaint is the fact it is open within that zone. While you're leveling, you are kind of controlled to that one zone that you're in for the leveling side. But guys, just also remember that they did open up the 50 plus and 50 plus plus zones, which everything will be all the same level. So you'll be able to experience the other two factions on the same character in a traditional Elder Scrolls way. You won't be as blocked off by the zone because everything's leveled up to 50 or 50 plus or whatever in creation it is so that will allow you to venture from you know if you do uh the breton areas or the not breton the daggerfall covenant you can go from stros Mackay, you can leave that early uh, probably you might have to do that one but then you can go into a uh, glenumbra and and the um or alakir desert you can go back and forth with those without having to deal with the level restrictions when you do the 50 plus and 50 plus plus content anything else on that before we move on all right uh character development and we were talking about this a little bit the skill system in eso does a great job of setting apart this game from the current mmo genre the flexibility uh, and long run depth that can go in developing a character is really impressive Speaking as a completionist and character maximization enthusiast, uh, Tropa says he loves that ESO will really challenge players who want to master um, all these different types of combat and crafting roles on a single character. ESO is not a game where you need to have several alts in order to feel like you have access access to all facets of the game. The respect options will uh, will be available coupled with the flexibility offered by the skill point system, the skill system, that can enable you to dedicate your game time to a long-term development of a single character. Uh, This is furthered by the ability to experience all the game's content from the perspective of each character you create through 50 plus and 50 plus plus advancement systems. I think this will be a feature that many MMO fans will find appealing. I love this because you know me from other MMOs, I stick with one character, I don't like alts. I make one character and I play them forever. I actually, uh, in my Warcraft, I did a playtime on one character and found out that I actually had 
over a year's worth of playtime on one character. And then all my other ones had like 10 hours, and that's all. I, I am the same way. I, I don't like alts. Whenever, whenever I create my first character, that character is my world. That is the, the hero I'm trying to embody in this world. And that's pretty much the only character that I can really attach myself to. Whenever I make an alt, I feel like I am neglecting my main character. Then my alt falls to the wayside. And then it's months and months and months before I even go back to this alt to, to even just look at it. Or they transform into another bank character because I am a notorious virtual hoarder, as my husband will tell you. You don't need that axe. You're a healer. Oh, but I might need it in the future. You never know. But with character development here, now I'm not a completionist or character... I don't like, I don't maximize my characters. So I know I'm going to get lost in character development, but that's okay. That just means that there's a lot you can do. There's just so much that you can do with one character that if you can get lost on all the options, which I, I know I will, it's going to happen, then there are just all these options that are they're going to hold your attention. They're going to keep you interested. It's going to keep the game interesting. They're giving you so much. It's just a great way to make your game stand out from any other game that's out there. And and I absolutely love it. I agree. And at, and they've already said they're going to add in more skill lines later on. So you'll be even able to expand your repertoire of skills even further. Oh, so I'll be confused even more. That's just wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Alright, moving on to crafting. The crafting system that Zenimax has redesigned, uh, the previous iteration was nowhere near as involved, is really special. Crafting enthusiasts will spend countless hours trying to research a variety of uh, item traits and upgrade the quality of existing equipment. The enchanting system of glyphs creates a more complex itemization problem um, than had been previously existed in other scrolls online, giving players flexibility to tweak their character's performance to perfectly suit their build objectives. Not to mention the wide, uh, wide array of interesting consumables, both in alchemy and provisioning, that can enhance your character's effectiveness and connection to the world. Crafting an ESO is far less uh, derivative uh, than in many other games, and becoming a master craftsman feels rewarding, and it um, and it, <laughs> and is a process more involved than simply spending a lot of time standing in front of a workstation. I love a complex crafting system. I like the idea of uh, being able to set yourself out. And one of the things I really like is the fact that Zenimax has said that. Crafting is going to cost you skill points to master. So you want to be a good crafter, you have to spend your skill points in order to become a good crafter. And uh, they've already said that there's not enough skill points in the game to max out every single skill. Like, you can respec, but there's not enough to get everything. Um, and I think um, those players who decide to put in the effort to make themselves master craftsmen will be able to make a name for themselves like 
you used to be able to do in other the older MMOs where when you found a master crafter, like you bought it because of the tag that said it was made by this person. Because um, that's what they did. I think that's really cool. I, I completely... Not completely, but I do disagree with this statement. Now, I don't have much experience with this crafting as, you know, there's, I just, I just don't. But I have to disagree with him in him saying that it feels more rewarding and it's a lot less than just standing. It's a lot more than just standing in front of a workstation. Now, in any other game that has crafting, no matter what, you're standing there just crafting. That's just that's what you do when you want to craft. You have to stand there and craft. I think uh, I don't think that's what he means so much by this. I don't know where you're going, but I don't think he just means like uh, standing in front of a place and craft because you will be. I think he means it's not so much like other games where you have to make a hundred iron daggers before you can make a steel dagger, and then you make a hundred steel daggers. And then you can make a, I don't know, cobalt dagger. You know, there's not that spamming progression where you have to do 100 of the same item just to level up. I'm not saying you couldn't do that, but there's different ways of creating items that uh, make it more interesting than just sitting there and spamming 100 iron daggers. Okay, so then that could go two ways. Then you stand there and you make one item, then you go to the next item, which is new, the next item, which is new, next item, which is new. That's that's boring. The other way it would go is you would stand there and make one item, and then you don't want to craft anything ever again because you've crafted and it takes a long time to do one craft. It's just there's there's so many things that can go wrong with a crafting system. There really is. And trying to make it fun and interesting is is extremely difficult. It's just it's it's hard. It's really hard. I've played many games, many MMOs that have had multiple types of crafting. And in each one it's a little bit different. But in each one it gets to a certain point where you don't feel it's not fun, you don't feel like you've accomplished anything. It's just, I'm, I'm curious to see how this is going to play out. It's very difficult to make a good crafting system. Difficult to make a good crafting system, but I think the options they have in there, like being able to make, like we've seen people do crafting videos. There actually is one over on uh, the Elder Scrolls Off the Record um, website where they did one. They did an impression of the crafting, and I think it looks neat. Like you will be making that iron dagger, but if you add a bloodstone, it becomes this. Or if you add a uh, piece of uh, or calcium, it becomes this. You know, or then you get into the different styles. Like you, you have the normal dagger, but then when you add these different ingredients, if you use, uh, I don't know, a bone, it becomes a Bosmer style weapon. Then you can add a type of gemstone, which adds different enchantments. And then they have a temper system where you get these items out in the world that you can temper your your items and make them stronger or risk losing them. I think that system is really neat. Now, that, that, sounds, that sounds cool, and I can't wait to try it. But in theory, it sounds cool. You won't know until you try it. And I'm one that I enjoy crafting. 
in in every game I play, I I dabble in a lot of the crafting mechanics to see what it's about, to see if there's new armor because I like my tune to look good, <laughs> to see if there's if it looks different. So I'm definitely going to be trying this extensively when it comes out, and I just I I uh, I'm I'm worried. I'm I am worried about how this is how this is going to be. I'm not. I think it's awesome. I've seen the videos. I'm going to love it. In fact, I, I really do fear that my first probably three days of gameplay will be this. First day, never leaving Cold Harbor. I'm just going to run around in a circle and gather those chests that we've seen in the videos because they keep respawning and they keep having items in there for early crafting and the ever-needed lockpicks. If I play with friends, like I know Thais and I, we're going to have a, a little party, if you will, for the launch. I've already taken off for the entire... Uh, five-day head start um i know we were gonna have a little little party and play with a bunch of our friends who want to play with us they're gonna be like dude are, are you ever gonna come out of cold harbor i'm like nope nope getting lockpicks i'll come into the room you know 24 hours later he smells kind of bad he's drinking nothing but you know red bull and eating doritos and it's just gonna be a sight and he's his eye, he's gonna be eyes are gonna be droopy because he's tired i'm gonna have to pull him away from the pc and just like let him sleep in a corner. I'll just drape a blanket on him. It's that's probably how it's gonna be after, yeah, first twenty four hours of him being soulless in Cold Harbor. Oh well, the next two days are just gonna be me pl- running around the uh, starting island, whatever faction we choose, gathering crafting mats. I'm gonna be leveling up all the crafting uh, too, because I adore that, and I know that there's a crafting station to introduce you to the crafting in each of those starting zones, and it's all right there, so I'm gonna get a head start. My character will, like, pretty much not level for the first three days. I'll just be gathering huge amounts of low-level crafting mats and gathering all that together. All right, then. Now we're gonna get into the little darker side of this article where we talk about the primary weaknesses of, um, ESL. And, I mean, I think we're going to throw one in here that's not in this article that we feel, but we'll go into that. First off is a limited exploration of a static world. Uh, while Tropa says he mentioned above that exploration is heavily emphasized and a positive feature of ESO, and it's how the game rewards you for venturing off the beaten path, you can only venture so far. Players coming from the single uh, Elder Scrolls background single-player Elstral's background will miss the ability to climb mountains, bypass obstacles, and set a course for the distant horizon in a true open-world context. ZeniMax could have created a game with a true open-world and sandbox features, but ESO would have taken a very different shape than what it currently does. Uh, the technological requirements to create a massive open environment without structured areas for guided progression would almost certainly have limited Zenimax in other ways, and ultimately they chose to sacrifice some of the essence of The Elder Scrolls in uh, favor of more conventional MMO game structure. In a further divergence from the modern Elder Scrolls experience, the world of ESO feels fairly static. In towns, NPCs don't really have schedules. They simply stand around all day waiting for players in fixed locations. The day-night cycle has no effect on the world apart from an aesthetic overlay. The player is unable to choose how to creatively react to various NPCs and situations, and they can only choose whether to accept their quest or not. 
for players who typically play the Elder Scrolls games by the book, you know, completing all the quests in an expected way and progressing normally through their stories, it may not be a big, huge deal. However, for the cohort of gamers out there who love Elder Scrolls for their non-linear compatibility and creative problem-solving, the rigidity of ESO may come as an unpleasant shock. Um, you know, it, it is true. I mean, but let, let, we'll start at the top here. The open world, I think that they're, the zones are open. They, they do. For an MMO, like, I'm coming from an MMO background. Like, I've played Elder Scrolls since Morrowind. I've actually played Elder Scrolls before I started MMOs. But when I start MMOs, I understand that, you know, that idea of barriers you can't cross. Sometimes they do barriers you can't cross because, oh, that's going to be an expansion zone later on. I don't see a big deal with it uh, because I understand from an MMO point of view it needs to be done. But I think this... <clears throat> this static world, I think this entire negative is only if you were only a single-player Elder Scrolls fan and nothing else. I absolutely agree. Comparing the Elder Scrolls single-player games to the Elder Scrolls MMO is like comparing apples and oranges. There is a no way they can make an MMO completely reflect every aspect of an Elder Scrolls single player. It's just unrealistic to even fathom that as being a possibility. It's just not possible. And if you're going to expect an MMO to play like a single player game does, then let's face it, you're just dumb. Put the controller down, give away your PC. You, you, that's not something you should expect. And an MMO, there's, there has to be barriers. There really does. So that there's other options around you. Now, making sure the barriers feel real, that is an absolute. You have to make sure that a barrier isn't just you walking into a blank force field in the middle of a field. If you're going to have a barrier, it has to be it has to be real, like a rock face that you just absolutely cannot climb or a, a fallen tree that you just can't pass. It has to be real. But barriers need to exist to make the world feel real. That's how I feel. And in the real world, there are some places that you just can't really go. So and with this statement, I really don't feel it's a weakness. I, I like it. I, I like that this is how it is. Well, I'm going to first go off and say, remember, she is the one who feeds on your tears. And for anyone that she called stupid, well, remember, that's the way she is. <laughs> um, no, it, it is. If you're coming from a single-player game, it's going to be different. But to be honest, the, 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 the zones still feel more open than most RPGs you play. I mean, not saying anything bad, but uh, Final Fantasy fourteen, I love it. Their zones are tiny. You want to talk about zone like things that they have invisible walls where you're like, hey, I could just hop down this small this small ledge into a river. No, they block that off. You can't. Those are the invisible walls that are a problem. But in ESO, it really is. It's like the the zones are in such a way that you they feel real, you know. And I mean, let's face it, even Skyrim without using clever game bugs you couldn't go everywhere 
you couldn't get to the top of some mountains without using the clever horse that scales vertical. Um, so to say that even those games were completely open is not true because you couldn't climb those mountains unless you bugged the horse to go up the mountain. You couldn't. If you were on foot, there's some mountaintops you couldn't get to. Your character couldn't jump high enough, you'd fall down, blah, 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 blah. There's, there are those things. Um, as for the day and night cycles, again, I think it's... I'm not, I'm not hurt by it. Like, it... Uh, I, I'm sad that they're not there because I like those day-night cycles, but I understand the day-night... There's no wait feature either. So, like, players who would have the day-night feature would just hit, you know, hit T and wait a couple hours till daylight. MMOs have a fixed time. A fixed time. Like, day-night cycles, like, a full day is four in-game... or four real-world hours. If you uh, start nighttime, you're not going to sit there for two hours to sell your stuff. That would make people insanely angry. Because there's no way for you to skip two daytime. You would have to wait those two real world hours and get on during the day. So I can understand why they did away with it. I like I uh, am saddened by the fact, but I understand it. Never mind. Okay. Uh, moving on to the next negative, shallow MMO systems. ESO was designed to be an MMO first and foremost, and yet it managed to forego some of the fundamental systems that gamers will expect. Character advancement is flexible and enjoyable aspect of the game, but the underlying RPG systems of attributes, equipment itemization, and relative lack of meaningful combat indicators may cause ESO systems to feel obscure and clunky. Furthermore, your engagement with other players in a multiplayer space is limited by the lack of expected MMO features like nameplates, guild tags, titles, and more in ESO. ESO does a good job of not forcing you to be in competition with other players while undertaking PvE tasks such as killing monsters or collecting objects. But the difficulty of the vast majority of the game's challenges is such that your fun level is reduced when other players are in the area. Having multiple people around while questing seriously reduces the difficulty of completing objectives and leaves you without that sense of accomplishment. In this and several other mechanics, ESO is caught between two different minds. The game could have been made harder with certain notable enemies tuned to require or at least scale for multiple players. However, this would have frustrated players used to the single-player experience as well as MMO players who have been spoiled by solo-friendly gameplay. Alternatively, more com or content could have been phased or instanced to preserve the challenge of questing alone, but this would further detract from the sense of connectivity in a multiplayer world. It is, difficult it is a difficult challenge and one that most games struggle with, but sparsity of group content in ESO causes this multiplayer systems to be less fulfilling than perhaps they should be. You know, I do agree with this. One of the things is, I want the ability to turn on nameplates and stuff like that. And, and to have that MMO stuff. I think it should be available. Ability to see numbers and stuff, if you want. It should be an on-off switch. You should be able to go into a menu and go, do I want it on or off? It's only going to be on your client side. I mean, why not? What do you think? I agree. I completely agree. They are trying to make an MMO, so they should add more MMO systems. Make it feel more MMO-ish. <laughs> you know, just make it feel that way. Now, I personally don't like running around 
and seeing everyone's guild tag or title or it's just it's just unneeded on my screen. I don't want it. But if someone else does, it should be an option. There's some people who enjoy seeing what that other person has accomplished or how much damage you're doing or taking. It should be something that is a personal option for the player and for the player alone. Right. Um, yeah, if it's player side, that's fine. The other thing is, like you said, uh, difficulty of quests and stuff like that. It is hard in an MMO environment because they want you to be able to play solo. Because that's what they want. They want you to be able to play solo if you want. They didn't design ESO with scaling that I know of. So, unfortunately, questing is probably going to be that way. But you know what? Questing's that way in pretty much any MMO. Really. I mean... Warcraft, Rift, all those. If you're the only one doing it, it's hard. But if people already were in there clearing out the mobs, you just run up and pick up the item, you know? It's going to happen. So, like I said, and phasing probably would have done more harm than good because with phasing, you then are separating off people that you can't play with them anymore. Like, they don't see the same stuff that you do. And it makes it hard to find groups, especially if they limit phasing to the point where Oh, if you've not completed this phase, you can't see me. And I can't see you. There's no way of joining phases. But Alright, we're going to move on kind of rapidly here. Try to finish part of this up. Um, the next thing is open alliances. I'm just going to go out and say this real quick. And then I'll give these a quick, uh, quick chance at this. Um, Tropus is one of the ones who was like, I hate open alliances. Uh, the... ESO pre-order bonus is allowing you to make characters in any of the alliances. Um, the ability to trade our ESO, you're allowed to communicate with other members of the alliance, trade with them using mail, guild, guild banks, guild stores. I, I don't agree with it because I think I remember somewhere that uh, they uh, they changed that, that if you're part of that alliance, sure, but they're not going to let you talk to other alliances. Um, you're not even gonna, like even when you're doing the 50 plus and 50 plus plus content, you're not going to see the real Daggerfall Covenant and our real Ebonheart Pact, our real Almar Dominion players in there leveling to one to 50. It's your own separate instance. Um, yeah, you can talk with the same alliance if you're in the guild, but I think in Cyrodiil they won't be able to see your stuff. I think that's how they're going to go with that. Um, you know what? We 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 beat this in the last episode, but like the pre-order bonuses, if they stay pre-order and are not available again till maybe uh, an expansion for pre-order or not at all, I really think the um, the mixed alliances will eventually fade into the background as more players come in who can't go back and forth. I completely agree. After the initial initial shock of the game releasing. It's the mixed alliances are going to die out pretty quickly. There's going to be people who are the new people who are going to be stuck within a, a specific alliance. And then you're going to have that random straggler, Norn, who's a part of the Oldmari Dominion. And he's just going to be shocking because, you know, you don't know why he's there. No one's going to understand. It's it's going to die out. It's not going to stay that way forever. But at the same time, I, of course, I have to play devil's advocate. Who? cares it's not going to affect your gameplay it's it's really not just because it's a mixed alliance if there are five nords in the old mari dominion and there are uh, five orcs 
in with the the Nord zone, you're you're really not gaining or losing anything. It's really just an aesthetic value at this point. Because in real life, there are going to be people who change their opinions. And in this, that's pretty much just what it is. I, I don't think it's really going to affect anything. All right, moving on to the last section. It's the gray areas. And you can be hit or miss with these. I'm just going to go over really bullet point lightning fast because we got to get moving. Um, user interface and guild and economic systems. Some people don't like the guild interface or the user interface because they think it's too minimalistic. I'm just going to come right out and say it. Zenimax already said they're going to allow you to do API modifications to um, ESO. You'll be able to change your UI. That's normally part of the uh, API. So I really don't think it's going to really matter in the long run. I mean, it's minimalistic. Whatever. I enjoy US, uh, I enjoy UIs that are minimalistic. I want my screen to look as clear as possible. I don't like it to be cluttered. So this this is okay with me. I, I like this. I like that it's not cluttered and there aren't things all over the place. Uh, the last one here is the guild and economic systems. I'm going to be outright with this one. This one's, this one's strange. Um, the... The uh, like they were saying that like, few magical items are bound to you unless you equip them. You can exchange exchanging goods between players can be difficult because of I don't know. Again, in the betas, you really can't say much because people are running around just trying to get that information. And I think it'll be easier going forward. But the guild store system is really weird too because again, it's kind of like ESO wants you to sell to your guild members. Normally, in other games, you don't sell to your guild members. You sell to the public that you really don't care about. You don't want to screw over your own guild. And yes, I know people can come look at your guild store and look. It's just... Another problem is they go into Cyrodiil campaigns. Let's face it, in Warcraft, for one, um, the servers who had the better raid progression had a different economy than those who didn't. Because if there were any... Um, any any tradable items that drop from raids. If one person got them, they 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 were selling for so much money because people would spend it because they didn't have that raid progression. So, with it being locked to campaigns, and you're assigned a campaign, I don't think you can freely jump between campaigns without spending alliance points or guesting, which means you would have to have a friend in that alliance or something like that, which I can't imagine why you'd have a friend in alliance you weren't playing, or not an alliance, a campaign you weren't playing with. It just kind of seems restrictive, and I don't know why they just didn't go with the trading post idea that would have been faction-wide or even server or mega-server-wide. Well, I could see mega-server, you wouldn't want to do that. But, I don't know. Maybe it's you know, even as I'm talking about it, maybe it is uh, the campaign is the economy because we've seen Guild Wars 2 economy that was the the trading post was game wide, not just server wide, I believe. And with it being game wide, you really couldn't make money. It was because there was so much of the materials because we had so many players. People would po- throw mats on there for vendor price are lower. Um and I think that, you know, game-wide server things are really bad because of uh, 
of that killing the economy. You, it's too hard to make money that way. I can see now that I'm talking about the campaign system seems to be a better idea, but I still wish they would have done a trading post rather than guild stores. This the system to me is still very confusing, so I honestly can't say all that much on it. But <laughs> in any game, I am very poor. I don't typically sell much of what I find, so this doesn't exactly apply to me since I keep everything that's mine, that I find is mine, it stays with me, I hoard it in my banks, <laughs> so I don't know how this is going to affect me or, or the game as of yet, it's just something that we're going to have to see how it really works. Yeah, sadly this is something we'll just have to see. But, again, it may not touch you at all. It may, may be more of a problem. But, again, to each person their own. We'll have to see how it goes out in the long run. All right, now it's uh, my favorite time of the show, and that is story time. So, as always, I'm going to let ladies go first. And, Ace, why don't you tell us a little bit about your adventures in Tamriel this week? Alright, I'm gonna tell you my first excursion into the one dungeon in Skyrim that I wish they never put in the game for the sheer difficulty of it. Now, as all the listeners know, I play the sneaky thief archer type. I, I am always sneaking and I am always with my bow. I carry hundreds and hundreds of arrows. That is just how I play. I, I normally never pull out any kind of melee weapon. I will stand where you can't reach me and just snipe you for 15 minutes. The one dungeon where this was pretty much impossible to accomplish was the Sightless Pit. I hate that entire dungeon. I remember when I first found it. And it was, it was dark, and I was excited to try it out. And as soon as you entered, you just, you just fell. You, and there was, there was nothing to stop you. You couldn't get back out. Boy, am I glad I always save, like, every five minutes. And when I started out, I remember being on a pipe with Falmir, just just tons of Falmir everywhere, and I hate the Falmir, they're just creepy, and I don't like them, and they make my skin crawl, just, ew. And I just wanted to shoot them all, so I'm standing on this pipe, and I'm stealthed, and I see one in particular that I'm trying to kill, and I'm aiming at this one, and I go to shoot him, and it does no damage. <laughs> Normally, with being a stealth, you take off a huge chunk of health and you can continue along your way. Just one more and they're usually dead. Not this guy. And after I hit him, he looked up at me and he saw that I was there. And I was not able to hide ever again. And I was just stuck in this one section with this Falmir that just, he was just trying to eat my face. He did not want me to survive. So I was able to get down from the pipe, but this Falomir was still here, and I I think I died a good ten times in a row, and 
I kept going back in there and being on this pipe and, and moving around the different pipes there that if I tried to do this differently, that I might just win. But I think 20 times in a row, it just wasn't going to happen. So I have honestly never beaten this sightless pit. Never. Because my first experience with it was just so traumatizing. I haven't even gone back. Have Were you able to ever defeat the sightless pit? I was actually going to say I've never beaten it either because I think I went into it the same time you did at that point. And I do remember with the sightless pit, there's no way out. Once you're in, the only way out is to go forward. And I think I just re- either restarted or found a, an old save. Um, yeah. Uh, and I always mark it down on my list of things that I want to go back and do. I just never do it. <laughs> it's just too intimidating. And I um, I went back. I, I know I went back eventually in another, another save where I had all kinds of magic. And I had enchanted all my gear. And I was a higher level with all these different skill lines. And it still just wrecked my day. It's just It's just so incredibly difficult and I you know I I don't know if I'll ever be able to complete it I hope that someday I'll be able to go in there and say that I beat the sightless pit I made it to the end I found you know the the light at the end of the tunnel but if if there are that many Falmir in there like the one that just did not want to let me live at the very beginning I, I don't think I'll ever be able to complete it so I guess the moral of my story is if you have beaten the sightless pit, way to go. It is, it's just, it's crazy. And I, I give you a lot of credit for making it to the end. And if you haven't beaten the sightless pit, make sure you're prepared with tons of, of potions and things to help with your, your stamina and your magic and your health and poisons. Anything you can have, make sure you have it with you before you start. <laughs> All right, it's now it's your turn. What is your story this week? Yeah, definitely if you're going in there, make sure you're bringing everything you need to survive because there's no way of getting anything else. Unless it drops in the dungeon, you're not getting nothing else. Um, all right, so thank you for that uh, story time. All right, it is my turn for story this week, and I continued my, uh, my legendary playthrough in Skyrim. Um, I decided, actually, because I was going off from last week, I decided I was actually going to make my way through the Shimmer Mist Cave. I was right there, and I know I was kind of against it last week, but I kind of um, really wanted to try uh, to do that. Um, So I did. I went in, and I went in Shimmer Mist Cave. At this point in time, though, it's kind of weird because I decided I really wanted to test out my conjuration spells. Like, I, I, I was trying to level that up a little bit. So, uh, I, I'd been buying all these different spells and I tried out the conjured bow, conjured axe. I don't know. I, I, it being legendary, those Falmer were really kicking my bum. But I did, uh, have a little bit of fun with the, um, Flame Atronach, who I nicknamed Hottie, by the way. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Real creative, right? But she's hot and she's made of fire. It, it happens. 
So I'm making my way through with uh, Lydia and Hottie, and I summon her all the time because she, if it wasn't for her and uh, Lydia protecting me half the time, um, I would probably be dead. <laughs> um, they just hold so much aggro, and like they actually really whittle down, uh, whittle down the health of the enemies. Um, so, I mean, I kind of hide in the back like uh, a little girl scared. Um, because if I get near any of those Falmer, they just, they wreck me. They do. And my, my heavy armor is not high enough yet. I really need to, to work on those kind of stuff. But anyway, I actually am doing pretty good with the combination, like, trio, trio party of Hottie and, and Lydia and myself. Uh, I kind of do a mixture of melee and archery in there. And we actually make our way all the way through Sheremes Grotto, and we actually uncover the secret that is in there. It actually ends uh, as you're going through uh, with a pair of Dwemer doors. When you open these uh, Dwemer doors, um, you walk in, and you're trying to sneak in there because I didn't know what what was in there. Um, and inside was actually a dwarven centurion um and my goodness was he tough he was really tough <laughs> um i think i died three or four times to him because while we were while we were trying to fight him i'm like all right i'm gonna go up and i'm just going to uh out out and out melee him because lydia was tanking him real well we had hottie in the back throwing fire so i'm up there just swinging my swords at this guy trying to get through Dwarven Centurion and he actually beat Lydia down like her health down far enough that she gets down in that weakened state you know the no more please don't hurt me kind of thing and he turns and I'm like oh, oh crud he's gonna he's gonna hit me no he actually didn't he actually blew hot steam at me as one of their attacks and it one shot me so I go back in, and I'm going to try to be a little bit more stealthy this time. And uh, we go in, and I have – I summon Hottie. Hottie starts attacking, and it was actually only at this point in time that I noticed <coughs> that there was a Falmor in there as well, a, Fel a Felmor caster who was also um, – beating us is probably why Lydia died the first time was because of this foul mirror caster who was just nuking her. So while Hottie and Lydia are working on the Dwarven Centaurian, I try to take out the caster. Well, on Legendary, it had a lot of health. And even with the amount of damage I was trying to do, I thought I was high enough level. I'm at like 25 by this point. I'm still not really doing a lot of damage to this thing. And the Dwarven Centaurian manages to kill all of us again. Um, so the third time, which is actually the time we beat it, so the third time's a charm, we went in there. I summoned Hottie in a corner because she likes to draw aggro. And with how this fight set up is in the room is now I noticed where the caster was. He was sitting right in front of a table and the... Dwemer Centaurian is not activated yet. So what I was able to do was I made Lydia stay 
by the door. I summoned Hottie in the corner, and I snuck up and shot the Falmer caster. The Felmer caster started trying to cast at me, but because I didn't enter the sphere of activating the uh, Dwemer Centaurian, um, he started casting me. I ran behind, back out the door to line of sight the caster. The caster comes running after me, at which point this triggers Hottie and Lydia to start attacking this guy. I'm running around in a circle for a little bit, trying to drop a little bit of hate from this from this uh, Felmer caster because he'll still wreck my day if I let him. So I'm parrying and <clears throat> not attacking him at all because I don't want to generate any kind of threat or hate. Um, and I want Lydia to get him. So once Lydia gets him with her two-handed axe, he's attacking her, and Hottie's just back there casting fire at him. It's it's a uh, it's a crazy thing. I'm able to whittle its health down ever so slowly. I think I had to summon Hottie twice because it took us that long um, to finally get it down. So pretty much as soon as he's down, I immediately save because I don't want to have to deal through that again, and I know that, that Dwemer Centaurian is still sitting over there. So... I run up towards the table and the steam injectors that are going into the Dwemer Centaurian start going off so I know he's activated. So I cast Hottie in the corner uh, closer to him and she starts pounding him. I order Lydia to stand right by the table which means she's standing between me and the uh, Dwemer Centaurian and she starts getting aggro from him. I'm sitting in the back plucking it with arrows. This is the only way we can get down. We've actually managed to get its health down enough um, I had to summon Hottie like three times to get him down. I actually had to bring out my heal heal others spell and start healing um, healing Lydia to make sure she stayed alive because otherwise he would have killed her. But we actually managed to get it down. We made I made my way back out of Shimmer Mist Grotto. I was really happy with myself at this point because I really didn't think I was going to be able to do it. But I think it helped that there was only like one set of uh, those cockroach monsters in there. <laughs> but so we get out and I decide I'm going to make my way back to Whiterun. I was going to head to Ripton, but I was loaded with stuff. I needed to drop things off of my house. But on my way back to Whiterun, I stumble upon Halted Stream Camp. I'm overweight. I'm walking. But these bandits are there and actually... Um, Lydia and my flame matronach Hottie were able to clear the camp almost single-handedly. I'm sitting in the back with my arrows just trying to pluck at these at these bandits. And Lydia and Hottie are going to town on these bandits. Uh, they actually clear out the whole beginning fort, which is like three or four enemies, um, by themselves. And then we make our way into the camp, or into the, uh, the Holtus stream camp, down into the small dungeon the interior it's not very long we kill the bandit <clears throat> i have to be a little careful because it's a little closer quarters and i always have that summon my flame atronach spell at hand and uh we managed to get through it it wasn't overly difficult not not anything really bad so here i am overweighted again and i am walking to white run it takes me like 15 minutes because it's you know i'm walking and i refuse to drop anything um I make it to White Run and I start putting stuff in my house and whatnot. Excuse me, I had to get a drink there. I'm running out of a hitting a little cotton mouth. Um, I make myself up to uh, 
Dragon's Reach, and I actually had four items in my bag that gave me four new enchants. I had a fire weapon enchant, I think a bonus to archery, water breathing, which I don't know if I'll ever use that, because I'm pretty much planning on uh, going full resist on my armor so those spellcasters don't rip me another one. And I'm not really sure what the fourth one was. I just know that I broke four items down. It might have been a frost enchant, I can't remember, but... Going on, um, I, I pack everything into the house, and plan is still to go to Riften. Because at this point, I'm wearing all Dwarven armor, and there's a reason why I want to go to Riften. But I'm lazy, and I, I don't want to walk. I refuse to fast travel, because I'm trying to do everything like I'm in the world. But I reason with myself that taking the cart, like paying the guild to, or the, the gold to take the cart, is not fast traveling. It's paying a taxi so i make it down to riften and the minute i arrive at riften what do you know i got attacked by a dragon and not just any dragon because i hadn't seen any dragons yet other than that first one i got attacked by a blood dragon and it was hilarious because i had hottie out i had lydia i had myself i had like the <clears throat> the i think there are three stable hands they were out, there were like four guards out, and some other random townsfolk that were running around from a nearby farm. We were There were probably 20 people on my screen fighting this dragon to try to take it out. So I never had hate on this dragon once. He, he barely realized I was even there, I think. <laughs> so we were able to get it down and uh, absorb that soul. Picked up like, I think he had eight dragon bones, which again pretty much weighed me down so <clears throat> i go into riften i sell that clear my bags because i know what i'm doing next i actually go outside of riften uh i think i picked up the uh the quest for the starter quest the the breadcrumb quest for the thieves guild but i'm not ready to start that yet and i go out onto the decks because there is one particular person out there that i wanted to talk to it was a uh, argonian female um What's her name? Oh, she has a weird name. I don't remember. Something Depths or something like that. They have weird names. They're like Fathom the Depths. I think that was the name of the quest. But they have... Oh, they have Depths. <laughs> um, and I accept it from her. It's to return a lexicon, or the lexicon to... Uh, oh, dear goodness. I have to pronounce a dwarven uh, ruin. Uh, Avinshell shell or something like that anyway it's in the southern section of skyrim in the rift <clears throat> kind of close to helgen closer to helgen than it is to Riften. um so i'm making my way over there and this actually takes me like three attempts by the way um the first time i w go over there and i kill a giant and I'm asked by the orcs of Largushbur, Largushbur, for help. I have to interject here for just a moment, because what he is trying to say is Avinshanzel, the dwarven ruin. And it's, it's when you look at it, it's intimidating, because the dwarven ruins have like a million letters in their name, and there's like consonants that are just 12 in a row with like random vowels just thrown in there. And it's just, I think it's Avinshanzel. Is the dwarven ruin that you're talking about, I think? Or anyway, back to your story. Actually, for the one time you corrected me, you are indeed wrong, good 
good good wife there. You are wrong. It's Avangel. Avangel. When we're done, I'm taking you into Skyrim. We're going to the lady, and you'll hear her pronounce it. It's not the way you did it. <laughs> All right. Well, if I am wrong, then I, then, then I am wrong. But now I'm curious to see how it is pronounced. All right. So that's going to be for next week's show. She's going to tell you whether or not she was right, because I'm taking her into Skyrim as soon as we're done here, going to that lady and make, you know, fall in the conversation to make her say the name, because her pronunciation was way off even from mine. So this is the first time I get to pick on her for a bad pronunciation. Anyway, going forward, I help these, uh, the orcs, and on my way to the Dwarven Ruin, I actually got heard a low growl and you know when you hear that growl it's a bear i'm like all right i see the bear and it's kind of crouching in the corner i'm like all right all right not a big deal i summon hottie and we start attacking it they they're beating on it a little bit i'm like all right we got this and all of a sudden whack my health goes down i'm like wait what what and i see the the indicators i'm getting attacked from the side i turn around it's another bear i turn around just in time for the bear to land on top of me and kill me and I didn't save since I uh, killed the dragon in Riften. So <laughs> I have to go back into Riften because uh, I have all that autosave stuff turned off. I really don't know why. Um, Reaccept all those quests, sell all my stuff again, and make my way back out. I stop by, help the orcs again at Largushpur, and <clears throat> get the quest to help them. I know that's a uh, Daedric quest for Malakath, but um, not going to do that either because I'm on a mission. And I know where the bears are this time, so I actually take the long way around and come around the other side. And we actually managed to kill the bears this time. It was close, but we got it. Um, so, as I'm walking, and again, I gotta say this, I love the rift. Like, I love the, the white birch in the rift, because you got the yellow leaves, the white birch, the big lake. Ugh, I love the love the rift and i know that's part of eso so i am really even at launch it's part of eso i know in the last episode we wanted to talk about going to uh the sky forge but i know that part of skyrim is not available at launch but i know the rift is so i'm excited to see excited to see the rift and how it looks in the second era but anyway back to fourth era year 201 or 202 at this point i mean i've been wandering for a long time I'm continuing down, and I actually go through the ruin. This is my first Dwarven rune, and it actually went really well. I was surprised it went as well as it did. I mean, it took me a, a pretty long time to get through it, but it wasn't as difficult as I was thinking. I <laughs> do you remember the first time we ever ventured into those dwarven ruins and we were terrified because i think we were we were playing together and we were journeying around the world like separately but trying to do the same things and i i can't remember which one it was but just the sheer magnitude the the, the size of the dwarven ruins they're so intimidating and i i know it took us an hour, probably over an hour, to complete it because there was just so much to look at because their culture is just so rich and we died multiple times and just the ruins are always my favorite place to explore 
in the Skyrim world. Yeah, I love going into anything anything Dwemer. I, I love, um, but it, it wasn't that bad. It, it definitely wasn't, and I was actually able to <clears throat> make my way through. And this was actually the first time I'd ever used a scroll before. I had a I don't know what I was doing, but uh, I had a scroll in my bag that was a scroll of Blizzard, and we entered this one room where there, there had to be six or seven uh, Dwemer spiderlings. And I had Hottie and I had Lydia and um, there was a, uh, a walkway or balcony around the outside and they all come running up the steps and they go down this narrow balcony which kind of helped us out because we were able to kind of funnel them. We didn't have to fight all six at once. We only had to fight, you know, like two or whatever. Um, and I decide... All right, here, I'll, I'll get this scroll of blizzard, and I'm just going to use it because I was kind of fool, and I couldn't really run away. So I was just trying to offload junk, and I used it, and oh my goodness, that was probably the coolest spell effect I've ever seen. I used this, and I was actually on Skype with my buddy, who I'm still trying to get on the podcast. Um, we were playing uh, Skyrim together on the phone. He was playing on his PS3, and I was playing on my PC. And I was gushing at this uh, at the spell effect because the entire room was engulfed in a blizzard. There was swirl. You could hear the wind howling. The snow was spinning. I've not seen such a cool animation. I did not know that those scrolls, I actually thought they just allowed you to cast the normal the normal spells but without using magicka. No, this scroll of blizzard created a whole new effect that pretty much engulfed the entire room. I couldn't even see the Dwemer uh, spiderlings anymore. I couldn't see Lydia. I couldn't even see Hottie. I heard him fighting, but there was so much storm of snow from where I generated this scroll that I was like, wow. I'm I'm not going to sell those scrolls anymore. <laughs> I'm going to use them because they look so cool when they go off. I've never used one before, so that, that was interesting. Um but yeah, I've actually made it all the way through. We had to fight a uh, a dwarven centurion again, um, again with Hottie and Lydia. By this point in time, I don't know. Maybe maybe the I think uh, I think the dwarven ruins have set levels versus other dungeons in Skyrim that adjust when you go in. That's what they set their level at. I think they're the only ones with static levels. So I think I was over leveled for this dungeon because it, it it felt easy on legend i actually even stopped about halfway through and checked my settings to make sure like i didn't turn it off for whatever reason or someone else turned my legendary off but it was actually fairly easy <clears throat> or easier than what i was used to it wasn't easy but it was easier than what i was used to so go all the way through i return the lexicon and the main reason why i did this is because if you return the lexicon you get a special power called ancient knowledge which gives you 25 percent bonus to armor if you're wearing all dwarven armor and i was wearing all dwarven armor at this point and it increases the rate at which your blacksmithing goes up by 15 percent. i hadn't even started blacksmithing yet so um that'll definitely help in the leveling process i know i 
found that quest later on in one of my playthroughs when I was wearing like Daedric or something. I got this this buff, this uh, power that's constantly active on your character. I'm like, well, that's worthless because my blacksmithing was already at 100. My heavy armors, like I'm wearing Daedric. It's like, well, great. I'm not ever going to use ancient knowledge. So this time I specifically went in early to get that. That was that was the main reason for going down to the rift. So now loaded with all this dwarven treasure, I make my way back to Riften because I'm going to go back to Whiterun and, um, you know, store all my stuff. On the way, I actually found a really neat character. It was a, he was literally just called Old Orc. And, like, around him are all these bodies of saber, saber cats and things of that nature. And when you talk to him, he's like, I'm old. I'm an old orc and I'm past my years. I'm ready to ready to go. But Malakath says that, you know, we don't we don't as orcs, we do not grow old like Nords and, and other human races or elves. We don't allow our, you know, our bodies to get feeble our our hair to go gray or fall out. <clears throat> we want to die a good death and we want we want it to happen. Malakath gave me a vision that if I wait here, an honorable death will come to me. A good death. He's looking for something to challenge him and to kill him. Because he's apparently past what the orcs consider his prime age. And instead of aging into becoming feeble, he wants to die while he's still strong enough. Um, which I thought was kind of interesting. So... If you talk to him, he goes through all that story and he tells you all that. And one of the options is I could provide that good death for you if you want. And it's actually kind of a uh, sad event um, because there's no malice and he he doesn't boast or taunt. He's like, I really hope you can. You know, it's, it's kind of an honorable thing, but he doesn't. He, it's not the way of the orcs and of Malakath to just lay down. He will kill you, and he actually killed me like three or four times because he's that tough. Um, he He's a tough old orc. But, yeah, when you kill him, it's not a quest or anything that I know of. I mean, he, he literally, he dies. He didn't really have anything. I didn't even loot his body just because I thought he was honorable. I looked because, you know, I looked. But I didn't loot it. I looked at him, and then I actually picked him up uh, using the <clears throat> E command and actually put him in the lake and watched him go off into the water i thought it was a really cool event nothing to do with the quest he was just standing there saying i'm waiting for someone to give me a good death i gave him one after he gave me three and um i went back <clears throat> to rifton and again i took the cart back to white run and that's where i stole all my items i stored everything and i left off and waiting for my uh next adventure when i go back into uh skyrim so uh that there ends uh, story time for us this week. Uh, we're going to move on to our next section of the uh, podcast of Tales of Tamriel, which is the dramatic reading of an Elder Scrolls book. This week, I uh, kind of changed it up a little bit. We we were really kind of dealing with the Alessian stories and, and that kind of stuff. But I decided to go even further back in in Nern's history uh, to a time called the Morethic Era. Uh, this week, I'm going to have Thais read the book called The Dragon War 
It's an account of the relationship between dragons and men in the Merithic era. So, uh, Thais, why don't you uh, take it away with reading The Dragon War? The author of this book is Torhal Bjork. In the Merithic era, when Isgrimor first set foot on Tamriel, his people brought with them a faith that worshipped animal gods. Certain scholars believe these primitive people actually worshipped the divines as we know them, just in the form of these totem animals. They deified the hawk, wolf, snake, moth, owl, whale, bear, fox, and the dragon. Every now and then, you can stumble across the broken stone totems in the farther reaches of Skyrim. Foremost among all the animals was the dragon. In the ancient Nordic tongue, it was Dragokan. Occasionally, the term Dovra is used, but the language or, deriv- or derivation of that is, no- is not known. But the language or derivation of that is not known. Using either name was forbidden to all except the dragon priests. Grand temples were built to honor the dragons and appease them. Many of them survive today as ancient ruins haunted by Draugr and undead dragon priests. Dragons, being dragons, embraced their role as god-kings over men. After all, were they not fashioned in Akatosh's own image? Were they not superior in every way to the hordes of small, soft creatures that worshipped them? For dragons, power equals truth. They had the power, so therefore it must be truth. Dragons granted small amounts of power to the dragon priests in exchange for absolute obedience. In turn, the dragon priests ruled men as equals to the kings. Dragons, of course, could not be bothered with actually ruling. In Atmora, where Isgrimor and his people came from, the dragon priests demanded tribute and set down laws and codes of living that kept peace between dragons and men. In Tamriel, they were not nearly as benevolent. It's unclear if this was due to an ambitious dragon priest, or a particular dragon, or a series of weak kings. Whatever the cause, the dragon priests began to rule with an iron fist making virtual slaves of the rest of the population. When the populace rebelled, the dragon priests retaliated. When the dragon priests could not collect the tribute or control the masses, the dragon's response was swift and brutal. So it was, the dragon war began. At first, men died by the thousands. The ancient texts revealed that a few dragons took the side of men. Why they did this is not known. The priests of the Nine Divines claim it was Akatosh himself that intervened. From these dragons, men learned magics to use against dragons. The tide began to turn, and the dragons began to die too. The war was long and bloody. The dragon priests were overthrown, and dragons were slaughtered in large numbers. The surviving dragons scattered, choosing to live in remote places away from men. The dragon cult itself adapted and survived. They built the dragon mounds, entombing the remains of dragons that fell in the war. They believed that one day, the dragons would rise again and reward the faithful. 
I love those readings of those books. They are they are so cool. And I love the Elder Scrolls lore and how it all goes together. I mean, the amount of detail in these books is phenomenal. Alright. Moving on to our community spotlight. For this week, I picked for our community spotlight. I've chosen the spotlight the Elder Scrolls Off the Record podcast. Now, I adore these guys. I've been listening to them ever since they were still called Skyrim Off the Record. Uh, Avarwin does an amazing job hosting the show, and his co-host add a lot of flavor to discussion. We have you know, Dean Force, the, mi- the min-maxer, uh, Lou, the old-fashioned MMO player. You know, I-, I-, I feel a lot with him, so... I, I get a lot of what he goes for. Shank, the non-MMO player, and Perpetual Walker. I mean, seriously, this guy must have amazing cardio with how much he walks. Um, they all form a, a great cast, and they're a lot of fun to listen to. Um, they also host the ESO Alliance podcast once a month, where they take uh, various big names in the community, uh, and they go over the big topics that are facing the Elder Scrolls online community as a whole. If you haven't already, I do recommend going over there, subscribing to their podcast, uh, give them a listen, go to their their website, ElderScrollsOffTheRecord.com, uh, I think it is. I should have looked that up before this. Um, and check out. They do a lot of stuff with the community, and uh, I think they're going to be a big presence in, in ESO. I think they have a guild and everything. Um, you definitely won't regret listening to them. They are a fantastic podcast. Yeah, just amazing very very professionally done it it sounds really cool so definitely do yourself a favor if you like listening to uh elder scrolls podcast they are they're number one on my list to be honest so they're definitely worth the ad all right gonna move on to the uh final thoughts for this evening uh you know this is this is pretty good. So, Theus, uh, why don't you go ahead and give us your final thoughts for the show? Well, in having going and having gone over the Tamriel Foundry's article, I am left thinking a lot of things about how I feel about the beta and the game, and what I think is going to happen. So, what the show has really done for me today—it's just—it's given me a lot of things to think about, to, to try and decide where my stand is on, on, his, on the topics that he, he listed in his article. And it, it was a good show. We went over, we went over a lot with, with the article, and I still can't get over that the Imperial Edition it was just selling so much more over the standard. It was, it was a great show, and the book you picked was a little strange to me after I had gotten so used to reading about the Alessians. It was it was a good book though. I enjoyed it. Well, I want to thank you, Thais, for joining me again this evening, as always. Uh, as for myself, thoughts for the episode are uh, I don't know they're, they're running through my mind. The main thing I want to I really want to say for everyone out there: if you are at all interested in the Elder Scrolls Online, don't don't listen to. Don't listen to any anyone really. Don't listen to our show. Don't listen to Elder Scrolls Off the Record. Don't listen to Tamro Foundry. Don't listen to the pro sites out there and they're mostly negative reviews. I mean, 
you really got to go out there and play the game for yourself to see if you like it. See if it has that spark for you. Whether you're an MMO player looking for maybe something a little different. Um, maybe you're an MMO player looking for something of the same. Maybe you'll find it in Elder Scrolls uh, Online. If you're a single-player Elder Scrolls game wanting to get into MMOs, definitely definitely check it out and try for yourself. Because, I mean, let's if you really want to face it, even the big games, even the behemoth that was WoW when it first was coming out, I remember seeing a lot of negative reviews for the vanilla version of World of Warcraft. I remember seeing a lot of negative reviews for almost every single expansion that came out for it, saying how it was going to be terrible. How how would they add this, this, or this? And after it came out, people were like, oh, that's the best thing I've ever done, you know? Um, I mean, and for instance, uh, what I call PokeWow, I don't know why they added it. I thought it was the dumbest thing. And... Uh, my wife, Thais, here, that was probably her favorite thing. I know several people who got their their partners, uh, wives, husbands into playing because of that little mini game. I mean, that's all they did. I would log in and look at their levels and go, you have, you've been playing for a week every day and your level hasn't went up at all. And they were just playing the uh, pet battle system. I mean, something that does not fit for you might fit for someone else and vice versa. And most, and the thing about MMOs is you can normally find something that you're interested in. That that's what it's about. It's about an online world that is persistent, that has a lot of stuff to do. The best MMOs, and this is the reason why we keep going back to WoW. Why it's so good is because it's diversified. It has a lot for people to do. There's uh, hardcore PVE for the they have arenas for that for the casual PVPers. They they have battlegrounds. That are more, you know, just hop in and have a good time. For hardcore PvE players, they have the instance raids, which I'm that's what I'm kind of hoping for in ESO. I want that that hard PvE content. For questers, they have quests, they have crafters, they have crafting. That's what builds a well-rounded MMO, having a little bit of everything. Because no one is going to like everything. If you were to pull up my uh, Warcraft character and look at my achievement points, you would see what things I like doing and what things I don't. My rating and all that, oh, I have almost all the achievement points before I before I left. Wow. Um, but the PvP section I barely touched because I only dabble in it. You can see the things that I like to do versus the things I don't. But it provided me with a very long time of gameplay because it had many options. And that's what I hope ESO has, because I adore, adore the world of Elder Scrolls and Tamriel. I think it's one of the best flushed-out worlds in the fantasy uh, genre, with the exception of Middle-Earth. I love Middle-Earth. Um, that I think they can do a lot. They can make the world feel alive for those immersion players, but you, they have to have mechanics for everyone else something for people to grab onto and enjoy and if they can do that if they can if they can even provide stuff i don't care if people hate 90 percent of the game but if they have that one thing they keep coming back for then zenimax did a good job and i mean that's what you got to do you got to diversify and draw a large group of people that's how you get numbers like wow that's how you get the good subscriptions that's how you get people coming back and enjoying your game is giving them things that they want to do and providing them with that. So 
I, I definitely wouldn't take these articles and stuff to heart because until you played it for yourself to see if you personally like it, don't take someone else's word for it because they're not you. They might not like the same things you like. Not only that, but half the pro articles that are out there never went above level five. Don't don't listen to them. That's what I'm just going to say. So that's my final thoughts for the evening. I want to thank everyone for listening to this podcast. I want you to feel free to contact us with questions, comments, criticisms. We've had a, we've had a good showing on our website, um, a, a real good showing. And I, I mean, someone actually already uh, voiced their opinion on our, on our website already about what they felt about the uh, Imperial Edition and whatnot. I can't say that I agree with their decision uh, or their their uh, their thoughts, but you know they're welcome to their own thoughts. And uh, I mean, I appreciate you guys letting us know. I mean, if you want to see those comments, you can go out there on our website. Um, the website for our show is talesoftamriel.com, or you can email the show by emailing talesoftamrielpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow our show on Twitter uh, at Tales of Tamriel or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Tales of Tamriel podcast. I want to thank everyone so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tales of Tamriel. I want you to have a good night.